Now batting for the Cubs corner, the host, Anthony Pasquale. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Cubs Corner. My name is Anthony Pasquale, and as always, this episode is brought to you by Coach's Bar and Grill. Coach's is located over at 6169 North Northwest Highway on the northwest side of Chicago. Obviously, no more Cubs games this year, but make sure you get over there for a Bears game. The deals are amazing. With that, let's get right into the episode. We're welcoming back one of our favorite guests on the show, Marquee Sports Network's Tony Andraki. Thanks for coming on the show, Tony. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. So I, I just want to start, obviously we talked a little bit before uh, this episode started recording, but um, you started at Marquee during the 60-game season. Now you got a full 162 under your belt. What's what's that been like with Marquee Sports? Uh, it, was, it was really incredible in a lot of ways. I mean, it it felt really long, um, and it, it was really long. I mean, even the players said it, too, after after the 60-game season, the pandemic, to go back to 162 was very long. Uh, but at the same time, there were also parts where I look back and I'm like, oh, yeah, I can't believe that that was only in May. Like, that feels like it was just a couple of months ago. And so, you know, I think it's it, it was just – a pretty crazy season. It was a season unlike any I had ever experienced before, any I'd ever watched or covered or been a fan of. And I think that's true for everybody. It was true for all the players and uh, everybody at Marquee putting on the broadcast, you know, doing 150 plus this year after doing, you know, 50 something last year in the Jordan season. So it was definitely uh, very unique. It's been, it's been a, a uh, you wouldn't plan this as the first two seasons uh, when you're starting a network. So this is certainly not ideal in a lot of ways, but uh, it's been really awesome to, to watch the growth and the response to adversity. I think that everybody at the network has shown to, to get the broadcast off the ground. I think, you know, with the addiction of Boog this year and uh, a lot of different cool aspects, like the wind, I always, the wind aspect and, and weather at Wrigley has been one of my favorite parts of the broadcast last two years. So, it's been nice to see uh, everything get off the ground. Yeah, and, and obviously for the, the team on the field and the network that's broadcasting the team on the field, losing some of your best players in the middle of the season is, is difficult. Um, I was wondering, just from your standpoint, covering uh, the locker room and things like that, the days leading up to the deadline and then kind of the aftermath of it, can you just kind of describe that for us? Yeah, it, sorry, in terms of what? Um, I, I guess just the, the vibe of the clubhouse maybe and maybe the way some of the fans were reacting. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's um, it was a tough end of the season, I think, too, with the with like the COVID issues that the team faced, um, you know, and, and I think like not that's after two years really of of that not being a major factor um, that was an unfortunate end to the, to the season and an unfortunate kind of dark cloud that hung over the team. But, you know, there was also some positive in that. And David Ross was quick to point that out. A lot of guys like Eric Castillo and Tyler Payne and um, others getting to make their major league debut and Tyler Ladendorf getting back to the big leagues after a few years away and pitching for the Chicago Dogs and the Independent League. And so, you know, I think there were a lot of cool aspects of it. But, you know, also like <clears throat> for guys to finish – strong for Ian have to get that game winning homer in the second to last day of the season. And, you know, I think the, uh, Alec Mills having a pretty solid start to end it, uh, Justin Steele in Pittsburgh having that seven shutout innings and 
Hendricks kind of getting something that, you know, there was a lot to build off of, I think, for a lot of guys. So, um, you know, I think it was it was not certainly an ideal way to to get into the offseason in some regards, but also pretty positive in others. And, you know, I think there's a lot to build off for this team and a lot to build off for Jed Orr as he works with his front office to to figure out the, I, I guess, where this roster goes and where they're figuring it out. Yeah, absolutely, and we'll get into some of his comments that he made last week in just a little bit. Tony, take me back to the trade deadline. Obviously, the Cubs saying goodbye to Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, among others. Uh, What was covering that whole fiasco like for you? Yeah, that was wild. It was, um, you know, (laughs) when when Rizzo's traded on that Thursday and you, you just kind of realize that everybody's everything's on the table. Everybody could be traded. And you got Chris Bryant and uh, Javi Baez who are, you know, on the block still. And you didn't know whether they were going to be traded or not. It, once Rizzo was dealt, it was like, okay, everything's on the table. Everybody could move. I was still surprised that everybody moved. I was still surprised that all those guys were traded away. Um, I was surprised that some of the guys like uh, – like Zach Davies wasn't moved, were moved. Um, but yeah, I mean, even Trevor Williams was included in the deal for Javi. And I was also surprised at some of the things the Cubs got back. You know, it was, it was such a crazy and hectic day. And I was actually uh, at my sister-in-law's wedding that day in Colorado. So I was trying, I was working with my colleague, Andy Martinez, and um, trying to do what I could from the phone and then also check out for the wedding and the reception and stuff. So it was uh it was definitely very crazy uh, that day in specific, that whole week. And then in Colorado after, you know, the, the next few days was getting to meet some of the guys and try to be like, okay, who's that? Uh, that's Michael Rucker. That's Janescu Funes. That's Frank Schwindel. Like, you know, figuring out who the guys are. And, and you know, it was also, a, I think we learned a lot about the Cubs. Uh, like I said, you know, they got some good prospects back, but also the – the offense was better. It was that was a big shock to me when you trade guys away like Anthony Rizzo and Javi Baez and Chris Bryant and even a role player like Jake Marisnik and you know Jack Peterson and and the offense was marketably better in in the second half. Like that's kind of crazy, uh, or the last two months rather. That was kind of crazy, and I think it just showed the show. You know, like that that it's an offense is usually more the sum of the parts rather than individual pieces working together and what the numbers look like so um it was it was absolutely wild it it felt like two seasons you know you look back on like the no hitter the combined no hitter and it's like you know Kimbrell and Tapera and Chafin none of them are even on the team anymore for the final two months of the season and and that feels almost like it was 2020 like it didn't feel like it was the same year so um that's that kind of goes back to just how long of a season it was it felt like it was two seasons and just such a wild, like, franchise-altering deadline. Yeah, absolutely. And, and some of those guys that they said goodbye to, you've been covering for five, six years now. Is there anybody in particular um, from that maybe core 2016 team that got dealt um, that you're going to miss covering? Yeah, I mean, I think really all those guys in a lot of ways, you know, that seeing the way Rizzo grew from, you know, a kid into the face of the franchise and the unquestioned leader in the clubhouse and um, really how he developed as a leader too was, was interesting to watch and 
David Ross's effect on him. And Rizzo was a guy last year during the shortened season without fans who was always trying to bring energy and really trying to step up behind the scenes for for this team and this roster. And, uh, you know, Chris Bryant, too. I, I've always felt for Bryant and the criticism he's received from the fan base, especially the last couple of years. And to, to get to the point now where he's in a new place, able to have a bit of a fresh start, and then to get into free agency and he can choose his path and where he wants to go. And he's always been a trained up guy. And we, we saw, you know, the lack of ego because he just, he was willing to play wherever and hit wherever in the lineup, whatever helped the team win and do well. And then, you know, Javi is was just, he was fun to talk to as a reporter because he was, he was blunt at times. He was always interesting. Um, you know, the fact that like, uh, he had these moments with Amir Garrett and the off the field kind of stuff uh, that would made things interesting. But then also his play on the field, like that Pirates uh, when he broke Will Craig's brain in May and just like completely backed up, and it was the most El Mago play ever. And then you know crazy like swings at pitches a foot out of the strike zone and he hits it for a two run homer or. Uh, he strikes out four times early in the game, and then his fifth at bat, he hits a homer and defense and making all these outs in the outfield grass and just a lot of different things. I think Javi was my favorite player to watch over the last few years, and, and that probably one of my favorite to cover too because he was a he became a, a go to guy in in Zoom and before Zoom when we were in the clubhouse. Awesome. So I, this is a the million dollar question that I know fans are going to want me to ask. Is there any chance that the Cubs bring back any of those three guys? I know there's been a lot of talk about the door isn't closed, but also after uh, some of those guys left, we've seen them fit well with their new teams and kind of Hoyer and them kind of fire shots back and forth. Where, where do you think their relationship stands and any potential reunions? Yeah, honestly, I kind of forgot about that Hoyer stuff a little bit. That was that feels like a long time ago, too. Um I, you know, I, they know each other so well and have such a, especially Rizzo and, and Jed have such a long relationship from the days in the Red Sox. And then they both spent time together. You know, Jed was the one who acquired him in San Diego as well and then reacquired him, uh, reacquired Rizzo for the Cubs here. So they have such a long relationship that I feel like that's pretty water under the bridge um, in terms, of, you know, for them. And then also, I, you know, I, I don't know to the rest of your question. I, I would say, to be honest, I think the chances are pretty slim that any of those guys come back. Uh, that's not to say it won't happen. It, you know, I think the Cubs could use a shortstop. They could use a stable bat, whether that's a first baseman like Rizzo with the DH potentially being an option and you still have an option for Schwindel to play then, or a guy like Brian who could play third or outfield. They could use another stable, like, middle-of-the-order bat. So any of those guys could help him obviously what Javi brings defensively and the fact that later in his career as he ages, he can move to second base or third base or wherever and still be a plus-plus defender. There's value there. That being said, you know, they all played pretty well down the stretch, and and I'm curious what their market's going to be, but I imagine they're all going to get, you know, $100 million plus, and and I don't know if the Cubs are at the point where they're going to want to spend that on on one or two guys. And um, so we'll see, you know, the Rizzo's getting up there in age a little bit, you know, he's 32 is his prime is probably past him or, you know, going to be past him in the next year, few years. So, um, I think it really d- depends on where his market develops, but I, I think it's, 
I'd say it's doubtful that any of the three return. All right, and you've got Kyle Schwarber, who had a really good year, now playing in the ALCS with the Red Sox. Nicholas Castellanos almost won the NL batting title. Those are two other former Cubs hitting free agency this year. So we'll keep an eye on those guys. But you mentioned a, a very interesting point that after a lot of these guys got traded, the offense became better in the second half of the season, led by Frank Schwindel doing a little bit of power and contact, Rafael Ortega kind of fitting the leadoff spot, getting on base and, and hitting well, and then Patrick Wisdom setting the new Cubs rookie home run record, passing Chris Bryant's mark set in 2015. So where do some of those guys fit on the future Cubs team? Yeah, that's a good question, and I, I think it's the you know $20 million question entering the offseason for Jed's front office is because you could save money and, and – um, and add it to the pitching staff because that's what they really need. I mean, in free agency, their their top priority, their their number two, their number three, number four priority, they're all pitching, particularly starting. Uh, but with the position player group, I still, like I said, I think they need to add some more depth. I think they need to add a second base, or uh, I'm sorry, a middle of the order bat, a guy that you could plug in there. You know, not necessarily play matchups, but you know, uh, a guy like Wilson Contreras or. Uh, maybe even like uh, Ian Happ, if if Happ is who we saw from him in the final two months of the season, a guy that plays 150 plus games a year. So it's not just about matchups, and it's not just right left platoons and and everything else. They need that, and um, and and I think they could use a backup catcher as well. But with guys like Ortega, I mean, you see, it has a clear fit potentially even leadoff, but any of the three outfield spots against righties. He can't face lefties. He really struggled against them this year and in his career. But at least against right-handed pitcher pitching, you can expect Ortega to be out there and be a pretty solid guy with some decent contact, a little bit of power, a little bit of speed, decent defense. Uh, Schwindel, is, at least in the two months we saw him, looks like an everyday player, and he really improved his defense as well. So the fact that he was able to have power and also – solid contact from the right side and and the platoon splits weren't huge either you know i think that that bodes well for the future and especially when the dh comes into into play probably next year and then wisdom wisdom was really impressive defensively he made some really nice plays at third base and then as kind of the the rover or whatever you want to call it over there in the shift where you basically like a first stop he made a couple plays coming in on the ball that I was just really impressed with, and he has a cannon of an arm. So he was a very, very good defender. We all know the power. If he can cut down his strikeouts even a little bit and still be the version of himself we saw last year, then I, he's obviously a, you know an impact player for this team, a, a guy that could hit you know four or five sticks in the lineup. And and yeah, we'll see you know how, how guys like Madrigal fit in. Uh, obviously, the big one with him is he has to stay healthy. And then Nico Horner, same thing. He has to stay healthy, but. What position does he play? Do the Cubs sign a shortstop and Horner plays a little bit of the KB role where he plays second one day or short one day or third one day or center field another, whatever it might be. Um, you know, I, I think that's the big thing. But but with Nico and Madrigal, those two guys need to stay healthy. If they do, I, I think it could have this huge effect on the offense too next next year. Yeah, they, they are definitely going to have a different – identity at least because there's a lot more contact and speed in this future Cubs team whereas there's a lot of power and strikeouts in in the old team but I was going to ask you too and you kind of hit on it 
<clears throat> just kind of where Nico Horner fits because there's a bunch of really good shortstops on the market this year. Obviously, Javier Baez is one of them, but, you know, Marcus Simeon, who has played some short and just hit 45 home runs, I think. Uh, Carlos Correa, who's raking in the postseason. Corey Seager, another guy. And then you've got Nick Madrigal, who you assume kind of slots in at second base when healthy. And then in the farm system, the Cubs are kind of loaded in the, in the middle infield with Reginald Preciado, Ed Howard, and Christian Hernandez kind of coming up. So how do you see the middle infield playing out? Well, I, I think it, it's easy enough with Madrigal as, as the second baseman. That how the Cubs have already said they they view him after acquiring him from the White Sox this summer. So, you know, he's your second baseman of the present and the future. Uh, again, assuming he can stay healthy. If he can't, then Nico's certainly a guy that can play gold glove defense over there. And, and at the very least, you know, Nico could slide over and, and give Madrigal a breather. Um, but yeah, at shortstop, you know, I, I, I think there's some question that Nico can do it full time. Um, he's he's shown to be a pretty good defender over there uh, in in the limited big league opportunities had. You know, only about 30 games or so. Uh, but you know, he's he was an elite defender at second base, and he could be a really good defender in the outfield with his instincts as well. And uh, I I do think he can be a good defender at short, but I don't know if. If you know between the arm strength and again the ability to stay healthy, if that is his long term position, um, there's a lot of value in in the fact that he could play three, four, five different positions as well. So if the Cubs move him around for next year, like you said, down the line there's a lot of guys coming up. All the, all those guys you mentioned, I mean they're they're pretty far away. They're two, three, mm-hmm. four years away um, as teenagers and stuff too. So. They won't factor into the Chicago picture for a while. So, I, I mean, I could see the Cubs going on and adding a shortstop and a guy on a three, four, five-year deal. And, and then those prospects could also be used as as a trade bait to acquire pitching or whatever else it may be. And I, I could also see the Cubs going into next year with, like, maybe a backup shortstop uh, acquired on free agency for depth and Nico kind of playing the position uh, you pencil him in for 130, 140 games at shortstop if he stays healthy. So it, there's a lot to be decided with it, but I think Nico's versatility is a real boost of flexibility for Jed as they build the team this fall. Awesome. I, I think that's pretty good insight there. And I want to talk a little bit more about prospects because with, with the amount of trades that the Cubs made, they are able to kind of boost their system a little bit. And obviously, we've heard names like Miguel Amaya and Braylon Marquez and Brennan Davis a lot over the last couple years and then acquired some new guys, um, Canario, Pete Kerr Armstrong, just to name a couple. What What's kind of the rundown on the farm system that you could give us? Yeah, it, it's definitely much improved. It was, I think, just the last calendar year has been huge with the U Darvish trade, and you mentioned a bunch of guys acquired in that, um, to international free agency with Christian Hernandez, and then the draft as well. I mean, Jordan Wicks looks like a really solid uh, prospect coming out of college that the Cubs got in the first round who could could have an accelerated timeline, you know, as a lefty and maybe only a couple of years away from, from Wrigley if things go well. But, yeah, you know, it, it right now there are a lot of question marks because a lot of those guys acquired, especially at the deadline too, were, were young guys, guys who were years away or – like Pete Crow Armstrong has only played nine professional games and uh, missed a lot of this year with injury. Uh, so we don't really know. There's a lot to still to be decided with him and a lot of the other guys. But 
I think, you know, with Brennan Davis at the top and a guy we should see at some point in 2022, and then, uh, you know, a lot of there's there's quite a few pitching prospects coming up who are guys who could be impact relievers for this team and guys who are high strikeout guys with good stuff and, uh, you know, some decent starting pitching prospects coming down the pipeline too. And where guys like Braylon Marquez fit and Miguel Amaya, who they were injured or, or Marquez – for his part, missed all of 2021. Amaya missed most of it. So do those guys factor into the picture next year or not? So it's definitely a much improved system. I think it's one that, depending on how the next year or so plays out, this time next year we could be talking about it as as like a top 10 farm system in baseball. Um, But yeah, you know, it's there's we need to see how these guys play out too. The, The lost year with minor leagues last year, it impacted guys in, in a pretty big way. And we, we saw that with some health concerns and we're seeing that with performance and development on the field. So I, I think it'll be really interesting to see how the young guys play out and, and how they develop. And really that's where the farm system is going to hang its hat is, is how those low A and high A prospects, those teenagers, how they, if they turn into legit big league prospects or uh, even for trade bait or guys who can impact the season in Chicago, that's really what will ultimately tell the tale of this farm system. Yeah, absolutely. And and you said you said it yourself. Jed Hoyer kind of pounded it into the ground during his press conference last week that pitching is going to be the priority for this team. You look at the starting rotation. There's not much that you know aside from Kyle Hendricks. And and I read your uh, projecting the 2022 Cubs roster from Marquee Sports Network. For anybody else that wants to figure out some of these guys on the bubble make sure you go check that out but you look at the bullpen the only guys for sure really are Rowan Wick Cody Hoyer and Brad Wick you mentioned a lot of guys on the bubble some minor league depth and we just talked about some prospects the the bullpen should be one of the strengths whereas the the starting rotation needs the most help is that kind of what you think too yeah, um, I think there's still I think the bullpen has the potential to be a strength. I do think they need to go out and acquire a veteran, maybe a couple of veterans uh, to to help potentially the augment the back end of the bullpen. But I think we've seen enough from guys like both Wicks, you know, when Brad Wick is healthy, we've dealt with that scary heart issue the last couple of years, and, and from Cody Hoyer as well, where those guys could be part of the the high leverage picture. Now, maybe not the whole thing and. We, we know with injuries, and again, both Wicks have dealt with injuries over the last couple of years, so there's no guarantee for health. But, you know, the starting rotation, if let's say Kyle Hendricks and Alec Mills are in the rotation next year, well, we might see one of Alzali, Steele, or Thompson. We may end up seeing two of them in there, too, in the rotation, but probably at least one other starting pitcher acquired in free agency or, uh, or via trade this winter other guys for at least depth and competition but like one or two of those other guys are going to be moved to the bullpen too so imagine a bullpen that has you know with Hendricks, Alzali, Mills and two free agents in the rotation and then you have Rowan Wick, Cody Hoyer, Brad Wick, maybe Scott Efros who showed pretty well down the stretch and then Justin Steele and Keegan Thompson like bam you got six quality relievers maybe Adrian Sampson you know he maybe he proves that what he did down the stretch last season is for real, and he could be a long man out of the pen. And then, yeah, Manny Rodriguez showed himself pretty well in his rookie season. And uh, some other guys coming up through the system, like, I mean, if Trevor McGill turns a corner, he has pretty nasty stuff. And 
uh, some of the other, like Corey Abbott has been pretty good too throughout his time. And, uh, you know, if Rex brothers, if it's Adam Morgan sticks around, those two veterans are under team control. So I, th- I do think there are a lot of different options um, that, that you can go on here that you could piece together a bullpen from. But yeah, the steering rotation is, is definitely the number one priority for the team this winter. They got to go out and get multiple guys, I think, uh, to to really try to augment that group and, and to fill around Kyle Hendricks. I, I mean, you know, a top of the rotation guy and maybe some of the others. Like the way the Giants have built the pitching staff the last couple of years, they didn't spend big money on Alex Wood or Kevin Gossman or Anthony DiSclefani, but all those guys paid off. And if the Cubs can do something similar, then their turnaround can be a lot quicker than, than people think next year. Yeah, absolutely. And the Giants kind of came out of nowhere with that pitching staff and end up you know, winning 107 games. I asked you about the big three position player-wise. What about the big three from the bullpen that they traded? Craig Kimbrell, Ryan Tapera, and Andrew Chafin. Any chance we see some reunions with those guys? Yeah, it's certainly possible. It looks like the Sox are going to pick up Kimbrell's option and try to trade him. Uh, at least that's the rumor now. And if so, I don't see the, him coming back to the Cubs in that aspect. I, I doubt the Cubs would trade back for Kimbrell, um, especially depending on what the price tag is. But if you were to hit free agency, I think that makes a lot of sense. And for Tapera and Chafin, I think both of those guys, you know, they, they both impressed in 2020 then hit the free agent market and they're both so highly thought of that they came back to the, to the Cubs here uh, for 2021. And then they were awesome. And Tapera actually was a late signing Remember, in, in free agency when Rowan wick, it was realized that, you know, his oblique injury was still going to be a factor for him. So yeah, it was, you know, I, I think uh, Tapera, I, I don't know what the market is going to be for him. Chafin has, I think like a five and a half million dollar option that the athletics could pick up. Seems a little rich for the Oakland A's, you know, usually budget conscious. So I could see him hitting the market too. And if so, I mean, there's there's a strong fit for both of them here. And they both obviously worked well with David Ross and Tommy Hadovy and the Cubs coaching staff. And they would both be welcome additions, especially Chafin. With the fans really embraced him. And uh, from the left side, a, a guy who can pitch in really any situation and go out and attack hitters. So I, I think... Um, I think there could certainly be a market for those guys. I, I'm not quite sure what the, how the rest of the league views them, but I would not be surprised at all if Tapera or Chafin or maybe Kimball came back to the Cubs next year. Yeah, I really don't think I would be either. And, you know, we talk about pitching being the number one priority. We'll see this team probably shop in the pool for a number one starter and then maybe um, two, two other, maybe three other starters just for depth and then some back of the bullpen um back end of the bullpen depth as well. But I was going to ask you, if that's the number one priority, pitching, what's next? Is it a shortstop potentially? Is it corner infield, outfield? What What do you think it is? Uh, I, I think it's there. It's kind of a 2A, 2B situation for me. Like I think you do need a stable, everyday hitter, like I was talking about earlier, that whether that's a shortstop or an outfielder or whoever it may be, a multi-position player. Uh, I, th- I think just another guy that David Ross knows he can pencil in for 150 games a year or that, like, if if they needed to for a must-win game, you just don't worry about playoff. Or, I'm sorry, you don't worry about platoons. And if it's the one-game playoff or if it's 
a must-win game in June, it's like this guy's in the lineup if healthy. That would be huge, uh, regardless of what position that takes. And then I think backup catcher is huge as well because Wilson Contreras, we saw him wear down physically down the stretch, and uh, I just think it would help him, especially with the DH. It would help him to be able to to uh, to rest, to get half days off, and to have another catcher that you could trust. And we saw that as a major problem area for the the Cubs backup catcher all the way until Chirinos and I think it was July or in August whenever he signed with the team you know I, I think uh, it was it was just a big deal it was uh, there were a lot of injuries there was ineffectiveness Austin Romai was signed to be that guy and to try to handle the pitching staff as a veteran presence but a knee injury and a wrist injury really slowed him down and then you know Tony Walters came up and uh, he had some of his own issues and PJ Higgins got hurt and Jose Lobaton got hurt and you know, on and on and on, and and I just the Cubs ended up going through nine catchers this year, including Contreras. So if they can find some stability to that, that would really help, and it would give just so there's not a huge drop off between when Wilson Contreras plays and if he gets a full day off, or even if he gets a half day off and he's DHing and you have whoever it is back there handling the pitching staff. I, I think that's a that's a pretty important kind of under the radar priority for the Cubs this winter. All right, we'll definitely keep an eye on that. Tony, my last question for you is, you know, as a Cubs fan, obviously this team is not in the playoffs. They finished in fourth place, over 90 losses. But you look into the playoffs and you see a lot of former Cubs kind of making noise. Jack Peterson's been great with the Braves. Obviously he was only with the team for a couple months. But Bryant's been hitting well with the Giants. Both Rizzo and Schwarber hit home runs in the uh, AL wildcard game. A lot of success from former Cubs when some of those guys struggled there, and I'm not going to get into that. But what I was going to say is this team has struggled to find a leadoff hitter since Dexter Fowler left in 2016, but Rizzo, Schwarber, Jorge Soler, and Tommy LaStella, all former Cubs, are hitting leadoff in the playoffs now before, of course, Soler tested positive for COVID. What do you attribute that to, if anything? I I think it's just... uh where those guys fit on their teams. You know, a lot, all those guys that you mentioned, with the exception of Stella, were mid-season additions. So the, the team already had some some lineup, um, you know, a lineup constructed already. So the Red Sox, for example, they had Devers and Bogarts in the middle and J.D. Martinez in the middle of the order. So it honestly makes a lot of sense to me that Schwarber is there leading off. But he had, he had some really awesome numbers leading off for the Nationals as well. So... Hoyer joked about it that like it it works pretty well with with Schwarber you know it it didn't work out for the Cubs him leading off but the idea was sound and and that's true it really was like the power and the patience and the approach it it plays in the leadoff spot so uh, I think you know I like it makes sense and and we obviously know Rizzo's the greatest leadoff hitter of all time (laughs) so you know I think I think that all fits and it's just where they fit on the team too but Lestella is also a guy that he's a pretty solid leadoff hitter, especially nowadays. Like he's not going to steal you a base, so he's not a prototypical leadoff hitter. But he can hit line drives and hit well uh, against really righties or lefties. Get on base well, work at bats. So I, I think um, mostly again just how they fit onto their teams, and and we know Jack Peterson too has the ability to lead off. So there are a lot of ex Cubs out there, and like you said, a lot of ex Cubs leading off. Yeah, absolutely. Last one for you. Any prediction on who wins the World Series this year? 
I don't know. I, I really thought this was the Rays year. I, th- uh, I thought they were going, they were my pick to win it all. I think the Giants and what they're doing and how they're able to match up has been pretty impactful too. So they obviously have to get past the Dodgers here in the BS, but I don't know. I mean, I really enjoyed watching Acuna play, so it it bums me out that he's not, you know, he's obviously injured, but I'm a big fan of Freddie Freeman, like Ozzy Albies, and what the Braves do. So the Braves might be a team that I'm, you know, quote-unquote rooting for. Um, But, yeah, if I think maybe whoever comes out of that Giants-Dodgers series might be the favorite in my mind. I don't know. I'm not... I don't want to see an Astros Dodgers World Series again. I don't think that would be all that compelling. So we'll see how it how it plays out. But uh, I guess I'm probably rooting for the Braves, and I think the Giants might be the the favorite to win it if if they're able to get past the Dodgers. All righty. Well, we'll definitely keep an eye on that. I, I personally am with you there. I think Thursday night's NLDS game might decide who wins the World Series. So that one sure will be fun to watch. But Tony, thank you so much for coming on the show. Appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. That'll do it for this edition of the Cubs Corner, presented by Coach's Bar and Grill. As always, this episode is available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and the Cubs HQ website. But for now, thank you all for coming to the Cubs Corner.